0: In the studio, and uh, founder Kay Van Huesen is all about uh, addressing women's issues and really empowering and enlightening people and and women everywhere. And good gracious, I've got my mom and my sister here today, and they join me in this official launch. And guess what, Mom? We are inter- we are interviewing McGee Hickey on my show today. Isn't that fabulous? It is so fabulous. I'm so excited. I lived many years between New York and New Jersey, and I'm a big fan of McGee. Oh, well, you know, she's done so many. great uh, great stories I, I know certainly a lot of people know her from her, some of her investigative work but gosh she's done so many other things you know uh, certainly in, in the fundraising area and, and of course in uh, covering general stories whatever's breaking McGee's there Now, you know McGee are you here Yes, I am here because I'm on vacation. Otherwise, I'd be out covering something literally
1: right at 12 noon. I'm doing a live shot somewhere in New Jersey, Long Island, or the five boroughs, something breaking. But I have a week to relax, which is so wonderful. Oh, that's So, so I can good. be
0: with you. Oh, that's great. You relax when we're just getting started. I love that. You know, folks, mm-hmm. I, I want to tell you a little bit about uh, McGee Hickey. You know, she's an Emmy Award winning broadcast journalist, a, a veteran in the field. She's always where the story is, and that's why we're so happy to have her here today. Uh, Mickey, I understand you started your career in Rhode Island back in 79, and certainly everybody knows that you've been on Eyewitness News and WNBC-TV and WCBS-TV. Can you just give us a little bit of a background on how you got to where you are?
1: Sure, I feel so blessed and so lucky that I'm still working. I view age as a feminist issue, so I'm very upfront about my age. I'm 55. I just turned 55 on Saturday. Mm, Happy birthday. Happy birthday. birthday. (laughs) Thank you. And a lot of um, TV news reporters uh... end up not working by this age either they're burned out because it is a high-energy job or they're just sort of forced to retire because uh... of the demands of raising a family or they don't look the way a news management wants them to look so you know it's it's all very complicated some of us choose to leave some of us are forced out and i just feel very lucky that i had a very good-looking young-looking mother and i got her jeans so i hope i don't look the other day when i was getting my nails done the uh woman doing my nails for my birthday party. I said, it's my birthday. And she said, oh, you're 50. And I said, no, 55. And she thought I was really thrilled that she thought I was only 50. I mean, I wanted her to say I'm 40 or 45. (laughs) But anyway, um, so let me... I tend to talk a lot. So oh, me go for it. Well, I, I can
0: just say that you don't look a day over 29, and that's what my mother always told me to tell everybody. So <laughs> that's, a,
1: that's a good way to put it. Uh, you know, I just feel so lucky, because when you get into your 50s, you reach a new phase of life where you're much more self-confident, and you feel much better about who you are. At least that's what I'm seeing, so that's why I'm very free to talk about my age. But anyway, I digress. The first question was, how did I uh, end up in Providence and come to New York? Yeah. Yeah. Um, i grew up in manhattan on the upper east side of manhattan and i went to school in providence rhode island i went to brown university and in my junior summer summer after junior year i was looking for an internship and i had a writing professor who thought tv news would be a good thing for me to try because i had this bubbly personality and this wild curly red hair and i (laughs) wanted to be an actress or a musician but i really wasn't very talented in either of those areas but i had this great thirst for knowledge And I'd always been the editor of the school newspaper, and I'd always been doing a million things, and that's the kind of person who should go into TV news. If you have a great curiosity, that's the number one trait for a TV news reporter. So I walked into a newsroom in uh, 1976 and just loved TV news. I loved the people I was working with. I loved reporting on the news. So I was one of these lucky people who fell into her passion. It's just Mm. been a wonderful ride. There are times when it's too difficult and I'm juggling family and career and I've burned out and I've taken time off from work, but um, I'm back now and really enjoy it. So I worked in Providence, Rhode Island for five years and I was always desperate to get back to New York City because I knew I wanted to get married and raise children in New York and my parents were in New York and my two sisters and brother were in New York and all my friends were in New York City. So I was lucky enough to To find a job in New York, and many since I've worked at every TV station in the city, wow, and a couple of them twice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we're definitely gonna
0: we're gonna chat about that. I think that's an interesting story, and so you know, one thing you brought up is that you sort of fell into your passion. I love that. Uh, You know, it it seems like in the 70s and the 80s, women really had a hard time making it in uh, journalism, especially in the broadcast area. Did did you find that to be the case for you, or did you just have one lucky break after another? Um, I really I did have one lucky birth, but there were lots of times where
1: people turned me down, too. I look back on it now and I wonder, where did I get? the guts and the chutzpah to be so pushy because I was really a shy little girl wow. and um, that's why I really didn't succeed as an actress because when I would take these acting classes at Brown I was the one who didn't get out of her chair they'd say you know now we're going to do this improvisational scene and everyone would be raising their hand and they couldn't wait to get up there and show the acting teacher what they had and I was scared to death of it oh for heaven's so, sakes, really. And I never used to talk in class either So I remember in my senior year at Brown When I had enough credits to graduate And I was taking a class on the Beat Generation And I had to go up to the professor And tell him I had just gotten a job in radio And I couldn't take the the course I had to drop out And he said, you have a speaking voice? You've never talked in my class I can't believe you're on the radio But it was really shyness But once I found what I wanted to do The shyness fell away But back to your question about how tough it was for women it was tough, and it is tough, and uh, but, but something made me thicken my skin and just fight it. Um, sometimes, um, and also in the 70s, it sometimes helped to be a woman, because it was all of a sudden the time where in TV newsrooms, they wanted a 50-50 balance of men and women, mm. and being a young, considered attractive woman was just what they wanted. Wow. So, you know, there I was eager to work hard, never cared about how much money I made because I just loved my job. This is in the early stages. So, you know, I just, I was the perfect candidate for them because I wanted to work around the clock and show them how good I was. <laughs> what, uh, about four years into the job in Providence, when I was anchoring the 5, 6, and 11 o'clock newscasts, and I found out the anchor man who was just a few years older than I was, was considered not as popular as i was as the news director had told me based Mm. on research i found out he was making a lot more money
2: Oh, he yes. actually told me.
1: You know, it was one of these days where we were, you know, naive, and I asked him how much he was making, and he told me, and he was making so much more. And I went to management, and I said, "This is so unfair. I can't believe I, you know, didn't handle it with agents or anything." But I, and they said, "Well, he's older, and he's married, and he's a man." Now, no one would ever say that anymore. You know, I mean, it was, it was a time where people were much more upfront and not worried about lawsuits.
0: Wouldn't that be and great were, if, if people now said, Oh, she's a single mom and she has three children and, and she really needs to make more money. Wouldn't that be great if the tables were turned yes, today? Yeah, it would be. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't believe it that they just said, Oh, he's a man and he's married, yes. so he needs to make
1: more money. Mm-hmm. And I was a single woman who really didn't care about money because I was living, you know, with age, I was age 23, 24 at the time and all I wanted to do was be on TV and I certainly had enough money to pay the rent. Um, so, you know, it was sort of a funny time, but I saw that that was so unfair, and um, I've always kept my eye on that in later years because you're paid on your ability, not on what your needs are at
0: home. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that funny how that works? Well, yeah. and you, you certainly have a lot of ability. Good gracious. You know, one of the, the, the things that I had, had seen when I was doing a little, uh, you know, research uh, knowing that you were coming on the show is that you were in Pelican Brief and And that was yes. sort of uh, what well, that combined your passion for uh, news reporting as well as uh, certainly some of the the preparation at Brown. Can you tell us about that? Yes, well, that was really
1: fun. that was just it was just a tiny role and i I played a TV newscasters, but I've always. Uh, been in love with the theater and music it's because my mother was an actress and she really was grooming one of the four of us to go into showbiz and none of us did my younger sister did for a while and she's very talented but mm. she also decided to stay home and raise a family and my mother really put family and marriage in front of any career but we always loved the theater just yesterday I finally saw West Side Story as part of my birthday present to oh, myself wonderful I took my 90 year old father my brother and my sister and we were a group of eight going to see West Side Story on Broadway I should say my father took me because he paid for the tickets but Uh we've been trying to do a family outing to the theater and it reminded me how much I love the theater I try to get to a Broadway show often I don't go often enough I'm going to hopefully see a little night music on Wednesday Mm. for the matinee since this is my week to do it but anyway so I love acting and I love music and I've actually just gotten back to my love of music at my birthday party on saturday i played flute duets with a friend and i sang a song and that was a face your fear because i've never been a singer but i've decided oh my in my 50s time is running out i better do everything i wanted to do so i'm taking cabaret classes and
0: i do a cabaret act off of broadway that's exciting golly gee you know it you know, i think uh you know, I'm not quite 50 yet, so I can't quite say what you know that it's a rebirth. But I will say this: I think as soon as you hit 40, it's time to just go and enjoy your life and and follow all your passions and let go of your fear. So the yes. the singing is kind of new for you. But what what kind of held you back from that all these years? Um, well, I was born into a very musical family, and my
1: brother and younger sister have big, beautiful voices. And my mother also had a good voice. She sang in the church choir. Mm. Um, and so I just I didn't think my voice measured up. And so I immediately took up the flute when I was in sixth grade because everyone else in the family was singing. Mm. And so I would play the flute. So that was my excuse. Wow. But then as I got older, and I know it somehow is connected to my mother's death. She died three years ago, and she's oh, in my mind every minute of the day. And I just felt like singing because she loved the great american songbook so i just love all these gershwin songs and cole porter songs and i somehow feel her spirit with me when i'm up on the stage singing and i just know she'd be so proud Mm -hmm. that i'm facing my fear i'm not a great singer but i love the music and singing is a lot about giving love and warmth and sharing your feelings so it's sort of a
0: natural extension of what I like about TV news. Wow. That's so exciting how you've, you've continued to combine everything that you love in life as you've gone through. Hey, McGee, I think we need to take a, a commercial break. And mm-hmm. uh, so we will be back and, and uh, talk a little bit more about how you followed your passions, a little bit more about your, your career and, and other side um, interests. That's so great. Thank you so much for being here. Okay, folks, My we'll pleasure. be back in a few minutes. to hear women talk social interactive radio network. I'm so fortunate to be joined in the studio today by my mom, Ellie Smith, and, and my sister, Heidi Black. You know, they're empowering and uh, exciting women in their own right. And we're also fortunate to be interviewing McGee Hickey, and she, of course, uh, has a, an outstanding broadcast journalism career. And as extraordinary as she is, she's also dealing with some of the, the, the same issues that, that uh, women everywhere, including uh, the women in the studio and perhaps our, our uh, listeners are today. So we're going to talk about McGee's career a little bit more and uh, then get into taking your calls. We'd love to hear from you and, and have you uh, ask any questions you might have about you know how to get started in, in, in journalism, how to follow your passion. You know, we've dabbled on a few things, and we'll get back into that again soon the uh, phone number is 646-652-2071 thanks for uh, joining us again McGee I'm so glad to have you on, on the show today you're really an exciting woman you've done so many fabulous things
1: oh well it's my pleasure to be here
0: Thank you you know I, I was we talked just a little bit uh, about following your passions from, from music to movies to uh, reporting and and I know that you actually won an Emmy going back for some of your coverage on the, the, the I, I believe it was emergency medical services, but please let me know if I've not uh, fully briefed everybody on that. Can you fill us in on that story?
1: Sure, sure. the emergency medical service were the um, core of ambulances in New York City. And often, you know, you get your... just someone calls in and complains about something and this was the early 90s and I was working at Channel 4 WNBC TV at the time and ambulances were often late arriving at the location and so people would die literally die waiting Mm. for an ambulance and so we started we would do one story about a late ambulance and then five other people would call with stories and we'd have to check them out and maybe two or three of their stories would um, hold up you know because if you lose a loved one It isn't always because of the ambulance. It could have been something else. Of course, right. Um, So we did a series of reports, and what was so interesting is, you know, we tried so hard to be accurate, and once we started doing these reports and paying very close attention to the facts and we started getting phone calls from the ambulance drivers themselves who you know would do anonymous they would be our sources and they would start to tell us how the management at the emergency medical service which was a city-run agency at the time was really being mismanaged and there were lots of flaws in the system
2: and then often
1: the reason they didn't get there was because of mismanagement on the upper level. So then we began looking more into that. And I had another reporter with me and a wonderful producer. And we dug, dug, dug. And we finally, uh, the head of the agency uh... had to resign because we found you know he had no idea how to run the agency and then the whole agency was merged with the fire department because uh... it's an interesting uh, development nowadays there are fewer fires but the fire engines can get to the scene of anything quicker because they have the whole dispatch system So because of our series of reports, and perhaps because of other factors, too, but they rolled in the emergency medical service into the fire department, and now there is much better response time. There was perhaps the most famous story that we did was um, the head of the city school system, um, Green, was having an asthma attack. Oh, my gosh. couldn't breathe properly. And he called for the ambulance and the ambulance was late getting there and he died. And someone released the tape of the transcript to us, a source inside gave it to us and it was shown, you know, that the the dispatcher was actually on a personal phone call at the time giggling and laughing with a boyfriend and that was why the ambulance didn't get there on time
0: what an so, awful but amazing story i mean that's it, so sad that that the, the person oh, died but i mean gosh... Yes.
1: Awful. such a series of tragedies but now I'm happy to say that ambulances are doing much much better um, you know that they are, the response time is way down we have very few issues now but in the early 90s it was every week there seemed to be another problem with an ambulance getting to a story so that's a great feeling that uh, TV news really helped people and that Channel yeah. Four did
0: that. So that was a so good interesting. feeling. It, it, it took you a while to put that story together, and yet, you know, you were actually helping somebody else. You know, unfortunately, we lost that, that one person, but maybe three or four or, or five hundred people's lives were saved because of the story. So I think yes, you know, it's, I it's hope so, so oh, it's so great. You know, um, how long did it take you to put that story together?
1: Well, it was we would do. It, it was a year-long series of reports so um, it wasn't just one story it was building and that's I take great pride because a lot of people I have only one Emmy a lot of people have like six seven eight Emmys for individual stories but my one Emmy is for a year-long series so I consider it many more Emmys rolled into one but it was as I say there was another reporter and a producer with me and we all worked very hard on that series but it took you know it took a year of digging and you know sources coming forward people calling in and giving us information and that's always where we we get our best stories. People, you know, give us a tip, and then we've got to do the digging.
0: Wow, you are you are absolutely living the life. There's there's no doubt about that. You know, I, I you I, I did mention uh, that you had talked a little bit about uh, uh, working for a lot of different stations, but also I think you're really involved in a lot of uh, good works outside of the news reporting field. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh yeah, well I'm one of these people who is always overextended. So <laughs> oh, you're just like this, all all the women listening to the show probably. <laughs> right.
1: So just this morning on my day off, I uh, drove up to drop off a portrait of my father at a school that he founded called the Lawrence F. Hickey Center for Child Development in the Bronx. So wow. I come by it honestly a desire to help other people um and we're having a family fun day. So I I work in my father's charity his school and i work with two other organizations project sunshine which is an international organization um of adult volunteers who visit sick children in hospitals and my childhood friend Beatrice Kernan is the head of that and then I have another friend you know these are just people I run into and I love their charities and there are Mm. so many fabulous charities and I can't do everything for everyone but another one that I work with is the Children's Miracle Network and a friend of mine who heard me sing face my fear at my first cabaret performance last January was so... I don't want to say impressed because I don't have a good voice she was so impressed at the concept of my facing my fear That's she so said wonderful. why don't you get a group of newscasters together and we'll do a newscaster cabaret <laughs> and we'll raise money for the Children's Miracle Network Wow! and so we did that in early May May 1st of this year and we had Ernie Anastis from Channel 5 and Katie Tong from Channel 11 and uh, Sarah Wallace from Channel 7 Harry Martin from Channel 9 I mean These are all local newscasters, Hmm. so you have to be in the New York area. But it was so much fun. We had such a good time. And John Elliott, our morning weatherman on CBS 2 at 5 a.m., he
0: sang songs.
1: And we're going to do it again and again and again until people get sick of hearing us
0: sing. (laughs) I doubt if that will happen. Gosh, you know, that reminds me of a a crazy experience when I said yes uh, a few times. I used to uh, do uh, work for the Department of Energy, and uh, they had several women who also had (coughs) great singing voices. Join in on a improv type skit, and they called us the diesel chicks. <laughs> <And> oh, <okay. laughs> we had to get up there and sing about clean diesel engines. I mean, talk about <laughs> saying yes when you really shouldn 't, <laughs> but you know we we did actually raise awareness not not so much money, but that was kind of cool and I just think it, it's so uh, it, you've just gained so much from from saying yes and and not running from your fears. Yeah. you know I know so many people that. Simply just refuse to try things and, and they say things, well, well, that's just the way it is. And, you know, they, they just don't do anything. How, how do you get past your fears and, and, and go for it like you do?
1: Um, you know, I don't really know the answer. I've just, my um, siblings, who I'm all close to, and my father, you know, we start to look at, you know, at a certain age you start to look at your childhood. And my, so my brother's always reminding me, I'm a risk taker. Ah. I might have been fearful. But I also like to push myself to the limits. So I was a, an early age equestrian, and I can remember I was taking a jumping class, and I had told the teacher that I knew how to jump. This is like when I'm age eight, because wow. I'm sort of a bragger, too. So I said I know how to jump. And she said, okay, we'll take that jump. And I really had never taken a horse over a jump. But I can remember thinking, how hard can it be? You just sort of stand up in the seat of the you know saddle, and you go over the jump. And so I went over the jump. Wow. Um Another time I had just been taught how to do the emergency get off when a horse runs away with you and I was horseback riding with my father in the trails in Pound Ridge and the Pound Ridge Reservation and this was sort of the family lore story. So McGee's horse takes off and you know I'm seven at this time and I just oh, my threw goodness. my arms around the neck of the horse and the horse stopped and I did my emergency get off. So I'm a risk taker. So while I do have fears, I somehow just, something in my personality makes me confront my
0: fears. Wow. You know, that, that's really interesting. I, I wonder, callers, uh, if you, uh, feel like asking, uh, McGee Hickey any questions, you're welcome to, to join us at 646-652-2071. I'd love to hear about how you face your fears. And, and what's really stopping you from, from going after your passions. Shoot, I might even, after the break, ask my sister to chime in on that one. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> she is an extraordinary woman in, in her own right, uh, uh, facing all kinds of career changes and life changes. This economy has certainly uh, roughed up uh, all of us in a lot of different ways. So, uh, you know, I, I, one of the things I like ab- about uh, talking with you, McGee, is that you're extraordinary and yet you're ordinary because you face so many of the, the same issues uh, that, that all of us face. Uh, you know, you talked a little bit about your father and, and working to help, uh, you know, raise money for, for his foundations. He sounds like he was very successful also. Was it difficult for you to uh, sort of m- make your own way in, in business with, uh, in his shadow, if you will, and in your mother's shadow, or were you fine just on your own?
1: Um, no, no, not not difficult at all. I, I realize the older I get, you know, the greatest gift in the world is having great parents. I had the most loving parents and supportive parents, and anything their four children did was wonderful, and they always put their family and their children first. So, you know, and the older I get, and I cover different crime stories... And, you know, I'm always saying, oh, this person, you know, sort of facile, but this person committed this crime. They didn't have a mother who loved them. You know, it all comes back down to did they have great love? It's Mm. so important. It doesn't matter. I mean, I was also raised in a privileged world. Uh, We never wanted for anything. Um, I went to private schools. I went to an Ivy League school. But that, none of that is important. What matters is the quality of the parenting of your mother and father. And uh, they were just the best parents, and I hope, and I think I'm failing in that a little little bit, I hope I'm as good a parent to my two daughters. I have a 23-year-old daughter and a 19-year-old daughter, and, you know, being a good parent is tough. You don't know when you're being overly protective, you don't know when you're being too lenient, uh, anyway it goes on and on, anyone who's a parent knows.
0: Yeah, I was to say, I, I'm a definitely a, a parent who's going through that myself, my son's 18 and I mentioned my I, I, my sister's here, she's actually brought my nephew in here, and gosh, my mother uh, she'll tell you all about how, how fun it is to raise me
1: and my <laughs> brothers and sisters I wouldn't know where to begin, or where to end
0: <laughs> I'd love to and hear And I wasn't
1: more. such a great daughter Wait, I want to just, you know, without going into too much, I was a really tough daughter for many years. I gave my mother and father a lot of heartache for a while. I'm just glad they lived long enough to see me turn out okay. Oh,
0: wow. I think that's
1: every parent's dream. And fortunately, we've succeeded.
0: (laughs) Guys, we're we're all blessed and lucky or or saved, something like that. (laughs) Gosh. Well, I'm also a risk taker, and I I, I was uh, enjoying some of your stories knowing that... uh, you know, living the life and, and and following our passions is all about that, and saying yes. So we're going to take another break, and uh, I'd love to hear more about uh, a little bit of what you're doing with your father and and talk a little bit about your mom. I know you lost her recently. And so um, when we be back in a few minutes, everybody, thanks a lot. Hear women talk. A wonderful day for us, actually. Hear Women Talk is launching officially today. And I encourage everybody to go to hearwomentalk.com and see how wonderful the, the site is and the calendar of events, the coupons, and, and all the other great radio hosts that, that are, are doing programs on this social interactive radio network. We are so fortunate today to have our kickoff day be with McGee Hickey of WCBS. And, gosh, she's done so many other extraordinary things, and we've been talking a little bit about her passions for singing and uh, for broadcast and for acting, and and uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about you know her career and, and some really interesting things that she's doing now. Uh, McGee, thank you so much, and uh, welcome back. I, I'd love to hear more about your, your day-to-day life today, and, and I guess you're on vacation, which uh, we're so fortunate you joined us on your break, but what, what's life like for you on, on a regular day in, in, in the studio? And, when and I'm not on works. vacation. Exactly, yes. Ah.
1: Yes uh, every day is different, which is what I love about television news. It's for you know
0: really high energy
1: curious people who don't want to sit behind a desk. Um, I wake up at 2 a.m every morning and uh, you know it just shocks me when I think about that because as a teenager I just love to sleep but I really <laughs> like the early morning hours now. So I wake up at 2 shower and dress, and at 2.30, I go into my kitchen and have a bowl of cereal and call up the uh, assignment editor at 2.30 in the morning and say, what do you think I'm going to be doing today? I can't plan ahead of time because my beat is really what's ever happened after the 11 o'clock news and before the 5 o'clock, 5 a.m. news. Wow. So I call at 2.30. And uh, the assignment editor will often say, oh, there's been a fire in the Bronx, or like earlier, uh, at the end of last week, a shooting in Coney Island, a mother of seven was shot, uh, or we're going to send you. Sometimes, rarely, but sometimes it's a light story, like there's a new amusement park at Coney Island, but that's rare. Hmm. Um, But um, generally, it's um, hard news crime, and they say, come on in, we'll fill you in. So then I drive over, or actually drive in New York City, because I used to spend all this money on taxis. I thought, why don't I just take my car over there? So I drive over to CBS, park there, go up to the newsroom, and they tell me what my story will be, and I generally write... Uh, the story there for about half an hour to 45 minutes looking at whatever video we have or file video and then I, my truck operator the man who runs the live truck the cameraman and the truck operator they pick me up in front of CBS and we go to the scene of the fire or we go to Coney Island for the scene of the shooting or we go down to City Hall if there's going to be a rally and so from 5 to 7am I do early what we call early morning live shots Hmm. I'm on the newscast. It's a two-hour newscast, and um, I will do four live shots at the top of the hour and the bottom of the hour. So uh, that's what I do. And then, as we take, then at seven o'clock, I call in again to the newsroom and say, "What do you think I'm going to be doing for noon?" Because that's our next broadcast is at twelve noon. And they tell me either I would continue working, reporting on whatever my earlier story is, or more times than not, I change stories, and we go work on something else until noon so as I say it's a very high energy job but what I love is it's outdoors dealing with people dealing with different issues I learn more every day on the job and I see the best in human beings and often sometimes the worst Um, but No, always interesting And you can never do it well enough I mean, I've been doing it now 30 years And every day I realize, oh, I should have done this Or, oh, I could have
0: done that so much better Wow, you know, I I think as women We're we're always a little bit more tough on ourselves than, Than we need to be and, uh, you know, it, it's just interesting when you're, you're able to just do something live and actually grab a story and, and, and see what's happening. You know, I have a call now from uh, Jane, and I think she want, has uh, some questions about some of your day-to-day life. Jane, please go ahead.
1: Yes, uh, Mickey, you've led such an interesting life. Have you thought about writing a book? Oh, that sounds like uh, someone who has to be more complex. You know, um I have a. It takes a lot of concentration to to write a book. Uh, maybe when I slow down a little bit, I would do that. I would really concentrate on writing a book. But I, mean, I don't I have... think you'll ever slow down. You sound like somebody <laughs> with so much energy. It sounds to me like you have so much going on, and you could have such a great spin from the women's perspective, all the years you've had in in newscasting, and it would just be such a great book. So I think it'd be something that we, as an as women, would look forward to hearing from you. Well, that's very sweet of you to say that. Uh, Yeah, it's something maybe I'll think about in the future, um, but it would be really tough for me to do. I I, I would like to try it. I have to say it is I hope that I have enough to say. I mean, I hope maybe I would write a book with other people. I'm very much a group person, so maybe if I could get a group of newscasters to write down lessons from the streets lessons from new york city street reporting or something and i would just have a small piece of it you know i don't always want to write the whole book just a little chapter maybe
0: You know, uh, McGee, it's so interesting to to hear you say that. I've actually, on my passion quest, uh, spent the past uh, two years writing three books because I said yes (laughs) too many times. (laughs) But one of the ones that I think would really add uh, some nice value to you is talking about your relationship with your your father. I mean, that is actually a book that that I've just written now with uh, Jenny Paul. Her dad owned the New York Yankees with uh, George Steinbrenner back in the 70s. And, gosh, he brought on uh, uh, Billy Martin and, and a lot of other real interesting folks but her book is about her relationship with her father and i think that you have so much to say so many exciting things about women's issues but how he was an influence in in your life can can you tell us a little bit more about that and 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 what you might say if you were to write a story
1: yes if i were to write a book though i would um have to give more of the influence to my mother i have i have been uh, now i'll probably start crying on the air so i've only been three years but she was such a huge influence in all of our lives. My um, two siblings my two sisters, and my brother. Um, and the older I get, and the longer she's away from us, the more I think about her. You know, and I think mm. anyone who had a wonderful parent um, feels that same way. I had no idea what the loss of my mother would be like in my life and my own mother would talk about how difficult it was for her after she lost her mother and that you never really get over losing your mother and uh, my mother was such a huge influence she was such a kind giving person and she brought out the best in her four children as did my father but my father like so many fathers was off trying to pay the bills and do mm. the work I mean he's a wonderful human being and he did a lot of charity work and he really came to life and thrived right after he retired from his full-time career in construction and real estate and then became a hands-on volunteer at different charities in New York City. Mm. And that's how he got to have a school named after him. He developed uh, programs. He found this school in the Bronx, uh, the Lawrence F. Hickey Center, through the Astor Home for Children. He found the actual building for them, and he did so much hands-on work as a volunteer helping them in real estate development that they named the school after him. He also was president of the parish council at St. Vincent Ferrer in Manhattan for 25 years. He, was, uh, he would serve on the altar with Cardinal O'Connor at St. Patrick's Cathedral. So... And And my mother would sing, and she sang in the church Hmm. choir for 25 years. She taught Sunday school. It was CCD time at uh, St. Ignatius. They both were such giving people that, you know, that was also a big lesson in my life. But my father, I couldn't write a whole book about my father's influence just because he was out there trying to, you know, earn a living. My mother, uh, I could write, and a friend of mine actually suggested maybe I could do a cabaret show about lessons my mother taught me. uh, Oh, what a great show. I, I, think, I love the concept She was a, a loving, giving person And, uh, you know, she just She taught us so much About thinking about other people She just loved the fact That she had 11 grandchildren She mm-hmm. had been an only child And she really wanted to create uh a real family unit, and both my parents worked very hard to give us a fabulous weekend home where all of us go up in Dutchess County in Millerton, and uh, we're a family together. So, yes, I I would love to write a a book about what, you know, good parenting and what
0: how wonderful it is to have parents who, you know, put their children first. You know what? What's so interesting is is the role that moms play in in our lives. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, I, I'm so fortunate to have my mom, who's also a very giving spirit, here in the studio with us today. And gosh, she helped me edit my books and and do all kinds of things. And she's a, a give, always giving, giving person. You know, but you know, when I hear you go and, and you talk about the, these wonderful people have been so influential to you, McGee. I also realize that you've been influential and in, and in, in that you have done extraordinary things. But you're ordinary, just like us. you you, you feel the pain of the loss of your mom, you care for your father in, in his uh, aged years, and at the same time, you've had a few setbacks in, in your own life, and, and I know that we talked a little bit about that on the, on the break. Uh, unfortunately, I understand you suffered some, some miscarriage and some cancer and even lost a job the, uh, from the, the network that you're, you're at now. I'd, I'd love to talk about some of these setbacks in, in more, more detail and, and, and how you helped to overcome those
1: yeah sure by the time you hit fifty five there have been a lot of bumps in the road, and my bumps have been um really manageable compared to so many other bumps that I know my friends and other family members deal with. but um I always wanted a third child, and when hmm. it got around, you know and I was always trying to space out my children, so management would like me so I wouldn't be too family oriented. So when I wanted to have the third child in my early forties. I had a miscarriage, and then I had oh, another, and sorry. it came to a total of four miscarriages. I had three miscarriages in one year, wow. which may be a record. My gynecologist, obstetrician, thought that was pretty amazing, but it also showed how gung ho I was. L- a little bit tenacious, was, were you? <laughs> right, I was uh, up against the biological clock, and um, and my bosses, and it was Channel Two, had just really had enough because I would come in and I was feeling terrible. I was either, you know, feeling sick from being in the early stages of pregnancy or feeling totally emotionally drained because I had just miscarried mm. and I just was not the eager employee that they wanted and uh, you know they were going to make changes and I was out the door so I was wow. fired at the very station that I now work at and I'm very happy to work at different bosses now <laughs> um, but you know I wasn't you know and I, I was hurt for a long time when I'd been fired and, you know, then I realized, you know, it's only a corporation. They they need really hardworking people. They can't look at the whole picture and see yeah. whether, you know, how you're doing emotionally. They just want to get the best product um, out on the air. So I wasn't the best employee then, and I certainly am trying to be the best employee now. And I've changed, and they've changed, too. Wow. And yeah. so we all just have tried to do it. But it was a, it was a very difficult time for me, and I really didn't talk about it that much. I just... I don't know. I just really wanted that third child and it wasn't meant to be. And, you know, a few friends of mine would say, Well, you have two, isn't that enough? And you know, you should be happy with two and I looked I have, at my two and I, I gotta and say I, think I, I'm I so have, happy with them.
0: I have one child and uh he's Definitely enough, <laughs> but I do understand your pain and and, and and some of your joy and and I, and, and I know that uh, you know my, my own sister struggled many many years with with uh, trying to have a baby and and adopted finally a, a son who brings her great joy and so there is always a way to to find that passion and, and, and whatnot and it 's so interesting that you were trying to combine that with with your uh, job at, at work and not really. Uh, letting, you know, not really experiencing uh, a lot of empathy on on your uh, boss's part. And I, I guess we sort of, as women, expect that, but. We don't really get it too much Callers Oh,
1: they were afraid To even talk to me They were afraid To even say Hi, how are you They thought I was Going to burst into tears Which I was You know, I was crying All the time Because your emotions Are all over the place Your hormones Are all over the place And you know They just really Didn't know what to do With me (laughs) there I was Just weeping But I also wanted to talk About another bump In the road Because then a couple Of years later So I was fired in 96 And I thought all right, this is a time To get myself together And be with my children more And just try to get strong again and then I was doing a series of health stories uh, for uh, ABC News productions on the Discovery Health channel. And one Hmm. of them, I said, well, why don't we do a story about thyroid? Because I'd had a lump growing on my thyroid and I'd been to a doctor and they said, oh, you know, a lot of women have thyroid issues. You should probably have that lump taken off. And I kept putting it off. And for five years, my husband and I would watch this little lump grow on my throat. Oh
0: my gosh. That's what you did on your vacation?
1: (laughs) Right. Five years we were watching it. And finally, I was looking Looking for a story to do on um, the health program and I said why don't we do something on thyroid and you know because women really have thyroid issues and I'll, I, I myself will go and have them remove this lump on my thyroid and we'll do that on camera another risk-taking thing so we go and we talk to the doctor and the doctor says oh yes we'll do the surgery on camera no problem there's a five percent chance that it's cancer but it probably isn't cancer most people have these benign growths.'" Sure. So we go and we do it on camera, and then two days later, the doctor calls after the biopsy and says, oh, you have cancer. You have thyroid cancer. And I looked over at my husband, and he was... White as a sheet I was just fine I don't know yes. why I, Something kicks in When And he had you lost You were doing a mother. report
0: You were on a story <laughs> he, was, he was feeling But it. I mean I
1: wasn't on the story At the time That they told oh. me They actually called On a weekend But he was just Beside himself Because he had lost His mother to breast cancer Oh gosh You know 30 years earlier And he mm, was just I realized Uh oh I have to take care of him I can't talk to him About this So I spoke to my two sisters Who are always My source of strength And mm. they went on The internet And looked And thyroid cancer Is a very manageable survivable. It's got like a 99.9% survival rate. So I always was fine with that. But we went back, and so I had the lump taken out, but then I had to have my whole thyroid. So I had to have another operation to have my thyroid taken out. So now I'm on Synthroid for the rest of my life. But as I say, it's a very manageable cancer. But it sort of gave me a a sense of how everyone can have cancer and how you deal with it. Um, for my mother, who had uh, late stage breast and colon cancer, that was much more difficult to deal with because she was someone who was always afraid uh, afraid of the medical profession and afraid of doctors. And for her to have cancer was just a very difficult time. And she had the most wonderful doctors. If I can do a shout out to Dr. Joseph Ruggiero at New York Hospital. Of course. <laughs> colon cancer specialist. He was just a combination of a priest and a doctor and my mother had such a peaceful oh. passing because he was just a
0: fabulous doctor. I'm so sorry that, that you lost your mom and that, that your experience with the cancer you know you talked about breast cancer and, and some of the other colon cancers things you know, th- there's so much more visibility and, and understanding of, of those types of, of things that people deal with but not these less common things that people just go on with their life and, and deal with every day. Well, One thing I really liked that, that you said was that you, you were able to count on friends and family and, and, and your sister and Shoot, I learned early on, you you know, we just can't succeed on our own strength. We we give it to God, we walk in the spirit, we reach out to others, family, friends, moms, sisters, and and we get through it. And it sounds like... Oh, it it
1: brought us all closer together. And my brother, too. Um, My two sisters, Elizabeth and Jane, and my brother, Frank, we all just pulled together for my mother. And it meant so much to her. And my brother at the time was a police officer in Los Angeles, and he moved back to New York City, and took care of my mother and father. My father was in the hospital for five weeks, one stint on, uh, he just kept getting sicker with different problems. Uh-huh. And my brother, Frank, spent every night in the hospital room, sleeping on the floor with him. To the, the staff at New York Hospital was going crazy. They wanted him out of there, but he was so determined. <laughs> he didn't to want to miss anything, son. right? Right, to, and to be watching out for his father. So. And, uh, and my sister Jane, I think, spent many, many nights in the hospital with my mother, um, sleeping in a little cot right next to the bed because, you know, my mother had this great fear of doctors and hospitals, mm. and uh, it meant a lot to her to have a family member there. Mm-hmm. And I just, I take such... Um, solace and comfort, and that my mother died at home, and that was because of the good work of hospice care, Calvary Hospice, and Dr. Joe Ruggiero. My mother was able to die outdoors at her country house with one of her daughters massaging her feet at the time, and she had Mm. just said the rosary for an hour and a half with the parish priest in Armenia, and it was just a beautiful passing, and even though it's almost three years now, and I, I didn't know how... Much I would be thinking about my mother every day. I do
0: take great comfort in that she died peacefully at home. Wow, that is so fabulous. And then now, when you tell that story, it's so much more meaningful. Uh, talking about the beginning of the interview when you said you were singing for your mom and you sort of felt her spirit there. That that's so. Oh yes. Oh yes. So she would special. have been
1: so proud of me. I don't think she.
0: I guess she heard my voice once or twice. I was in
1: the Mikado in eighth grade and, and I wasn't particularly good. But I just. She would. She was someone who always wanted us to. Perform As much as possible, all of her children, she wanted them up there on the stage singing and dancing and smiling. And so when I'm up there, I am thinking of her and thinking how she would be proud of me. It doesn't matter whether you're any good at it. It just matters that you're sharing.
0: Absolutely. are sharing with other people. You know, it sounds like, McGee, you've had so many experiences that, that have strengthened you, and, and certainly uh, you've gone through so, some great uh, career highs, if you will, and of course you know, you, you lost your job, and then you were rehired, and you, I know you did a lot of things in, in between then. I think uh, you were on the Food Network even, and you even did a Parent to Parent series. Yeah, well, I have to tell you,
1: the Food Network was one of the funnier experiences. Um, I was substituting for Donna Hanover, who was uh, the mayor's wife at the time, uh, Rudy Giuliani's wife, and she and I were friends from TV days, and for me to substitute on the Food Network was such a stretch, because I don't cook. My husband is a fabulous cook, and... I love to eat. <laughs> I love really good food, but so so I'd be on these cooking segments with these world famous chefs, and I had no questions for them. I'd say, "Do you stir it to the right or to the <laughs> left? How do you know how much you know salt to put in there?" I mean, oh, I was, that's
0: so funny. You know, it I have
1: not a good fit.
0: <laughs> well, I think it sounds. It sounds like you just said yes, and you took the risk. You know, gosh, uh, I have to join you in my <clears throat> cooking prowess. I will say that my nickname is Microwave Mama. <laughs> so, you know, but I know that from there, that actually launched uh, another cable series of having to do with parenting and you know I, I think it's kind of interesting did you share with your kids that you said yes to the Food Network even though it wasn't a good fit and were you talking to other parents about some of their challenges how, how did that go
1: yeah, my children are always horrified that I'm so public with everything about their <laughs> lives. And luckily for the parent-to-parent show, it had a an audience of maybe two or three people, so people could <laughs> hear me discussing my children.
0: <laughs> uh, oh, they're going to hear you now. We're global, so I'm here Women talk, <laughs> right. so look out. <laughs> it
1: really scares them. They do not want me talking about them at all, and I always, you know, share stories because I find being a parent is so wonderful, and, and I'm always, you know, and I, I don't want to give the impression that I really know what I'm doing no one ever knows what to do or at least i don't as a parent i have a you know i make mistakes all the time and i actually call my two sisters jane and elizabeth because they're more experienced parents my sister elizabeth has five children my sister jane has four and they're both just wonderful mothers and uh...
0: You know, I don't really know how to do this. You, you know, you don't know how to do it. It's a trial and error situation. You just, you just sort of wing it. I, Heidi is a, a parent. You might know, mentioned I, I shared with you that she adopted uh, her son Ian a short while ago, and I bet you she has a great question well, for you. On I that.
2: didn't actually see the series. Wish I had seen it. As Jody mentioned, I have a seven year old. Were there any common, most common questions that you received from parents of that elementary school age group?
1: What age did you adopt, Ian?
2: Well, Ian was 20 hours old when we met him. He came early, so we missed his birth, and he was born in California, so we've had the opportunity to be his mom and dad since he was 20 hours old. And he is aware that he is adopted as well, so it's a common Mm -hmm. conversation that we do have daily.
1: Mm-hmm. How interesting. And are his parents, are his biological parents, if that's the term you use, are they in his life at all?
2: No, he was born in California, but we do have an open adoption, and um, he's free to ask any questions. You know, kids at school may say something. Like, he came home one day and asked me if I was his stepmother. So we kind of had a conversation about what a birth, you know, again, what a birth mother is, what your mother is, and what a stepmother is. So... Anytime he has that question, different questions that come into play, we talk about them honestly, and we try to discuss them at his age level so that he can understand right. it and still feel very loved in um, everything that we're doing.
1: Right. If his birth mother and father wanted to come visit him how would you handle that
2: well we've always told him that when he's ready to go to california that his dad and i will be the first ones in line buying the plane tickets he has four other brothers to meet as well so when he's ready we're going
1: Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Did you get a lot so, of questions? Oh, but so about my parenting, what? it was more a, a show very similar to yours in that I had a child psychologist, uh, Harold Koplowitz, and we took questions from the audience. So I had, you know, and I, I played the role of the mother who doesn't have a clue how to be a parent. <laughs> <So> <laughs>
0: We're all that I, way. <laughs> so it sounded to me like you had a lot of uh, like encouraging words for, for Heidi, and I bet you did uh, also on, on your show as well. You probably got a lot of similar questions, I would think, right?
1: Yes, I mean, you know, it, it never ends. That's the other thing. I had no idea that parenting really doesn't end. I have a 23 year old and a 19 year old, and both of my sisters have sons 30. Um, you know, and it, it doesn't stop. You know, you're always worried about your children, and I see that my parents were, and my mother
0: was always worried about, you oh, know, I what are we doing. I think my mom joins you in that one. <laughs> it never over. No, I, I mean, was you're... always
1: told the older they get, the bigger the problems. Right. <laughs> oh.
0: Well, you know, I think that's about all the time that we have uh, today, so uh, please do uh, uh, by all means, everyone check out here Women Talk. We're going to be archiving this show for uh, a while, and uh, you can certainly call in. We have Dr. Ernie Ward with us tomorrow, and we have Katie Spots on Wednesday. Thank you so much, McGee. I, I really appreciate you being here. You know, you've refreshed my spirit, and I'm sure the same is true for oh. listeners. I, I really recognize the value of people like you, and I'm, I'm so glad you I had joined a great us today. Time
1: talking. You can hear, I can talk a lot, but I'm in no way a perfect person. I make a lot of mistakes
0: in oh. my life, too. Oh, I, I, I think you're extraordinary and you're ordinary and you're just like all the other girlfriends that we hope we're old.